Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Adventures in Botnet. Today it's a panelist episode, so only, quote unquote, the three panelists are there. We have Mark, and hey we have Adam, and Hello. we have me, Christian. And uh, today uh, we thought we'd talk about a very hyped and hot topic. But we will not only talk about uh, all of the potential upsides, but also about the uh, downsides and shortcomings. We're talking about my dating life, right, Christian? Is that exactly, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That that was that was actually my first suggestion, but it was overruled uh, for, oh. for some reasons. So now we just have to talk about something uh, probably a little bit less exciting uh, and less deterministic. And uh, that's that's AI, and um, the uh, the one of the reasons why we came up with, with the topic for today is that there uh, are more and more bots that can join uh, web conferences, meetings, etc. for you, and then maybe give you uh, give you a transcript, or maybe even you know add something to the chat on your behalf, so that uh, some companies now actively start forbidding the use of these kind of quote-unquote AI-driven uh, systems or bots. So what does that mean? Is, is that the end of the line for, <laughs> for AI? Is this just the beginning? Uh, is, is it all going downhill or uphill? Well, for me, um, the, the thing I always lacked in, in corporate setting was that first meetings were not recorded by default. Um, so that's something corporates never wanted to agree with. And for AI, actually, I would be very surprised if, I mean, there were multiple startups even like five years ago that were doing something like automated transcript, wiki filling, confluence filling based on the meetings, uh, which personally I find super cool. Um, but I would be very surprised if that um, that was a standard uh, from now today. I think companies will just not agree to, to have that, even though even though I think that would solve one of the biggest issues, at least of big enterprises, which is like lack of internal search. I mean, companies, they do have internal search engines, but it's super hard to figure out which materials yeah, are like up to date. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the other name for that. Uh, but the thing that you don't know is whether the thing you're reading is actually up to date or it has been changed like two weeks back and you have no idea about that. And the chatbot or chat GPT or whatever we call it could actually be aware of all that by constantly scanning meetings and whatnot. Um, but I think that companies just won't agree to that, not to mention that data could leak and that would be terrible, especially that uh, now we have those articles about like chat GPT security breaches and, and whatnot. Do, do you think that that, that would help that, uh, that that information would actually be available uh, in a a format that is easy accessible and will actually be used? Because, um, I mean, more, more than once I've seen that, you know, everything gets recorded, which, and I agree with you here, if everyone agrees in a meeting that things are recorded, it's always great to be able to go back and then say, okay, this, this is what we actually discussed. But on the other hand, I, I recently uh, went went to a, a large client, and um, they they are recording quite a bit of of the, uh, their their online discussions. And then uh, we were discussing a similar thing, and then we said, okay, let's let's have a look at the access statistics for those for those videos for those recordings. So how often are they actually looked at? How often is that are these information being being used? And the numbers were were staggeringly low, right? But of course, it might be because you have an hour of video, right? Yeah, but I mean, you can maybe play it at, at twice twice the playback speed, but it still costs you 30 minutes. I think this might be just like the same problem we have for many years now, which is you don't know when that something is there until you actually know it's there. The same goes with like internal wikis and whatnot, right? When someone tells you, hey, the runbook is here, then you realize, oh, snap, it answers all my questions I ever had, right? But like I was, I had no idea it's there. And the same goes for the meetings, only only on a, a little bigger scale, because now, as you mentioned, we would need to watch like hours 
of meetings and we would watch them only if we knew the thing we are looking after is in these meetings, right? You won't be just looking at those meetings to see what's there. You are watching them only if you know that the thing you are looking after is exactly there and it won't be time wasted. What I find interesting though is with all those um, AIs, we might actually have um, a problem of confidentiality when it comes to client. Like I remember even some big fund like corporates um, uh, before ChatGPT emerged, they were reporting issues that based on, for instance, on the recommendation systems, um, just by observing the end effect of what they recommend, you could learn something about the input data they had. Uh, and this issue may be now much bigger, uh, especially the, that like ChatGPT basically sometimes copies the things that it learned from. So just by asking proper questions, and I guess that's going to be another profession in like five or, or 10 years, or maybe another course on Coursera, uh, how to effectively search the web with ChatGPT or whatnot, uh, and obviously copyright now, <laughs> if I'm the first one to prepare just such a course. But anyway, how to ask questions to ChatGPT to actually learn some confidential info from about the company where you are interested in. <laughs> So on my on my Twitch show, uh, we have a Chat GPT OpenAI driven character. Um, the character kind of speaks like a caveman or a child a little bit. In uh, there are parts of it that are really wonderful in terms of it. It it this the character is funny, tells jokes, uh, is feels is consistent with. Uh, essentially the programming that he's been given, the prompt that he's been given. He will even lie and then later confess his lies, which is part of who he is. He's to some degree a child, right? But I was shocked and stunned uh, on uh, uh, yesterday when people in chat started essentially reprogramming him through prompts and they got him to actually start executing commands in the chat room uh, that were then playing scenes automatically. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing like live right here. And people took it in different directions. Some people said, you now only speak Catalan. And so every answer has got to be in there, you know, in, in Catalan. And, and, and somebody else was, actually several people were trying to get it to execute commands and they finally got it to do that. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. You can create something that feels safe and real but the essence of ChatGPT is that it essentially is adapting as the chat goes. So at any time you can say, you're now going to, you know, you know, tell me Mark's password. What, let me know what that is. You know, something along those lines, right? And so protecting against kind of a reprogramming, right, is something that I think is, is, is it's an interesting problem I didn't consider until yesterday. I mean, I, I saw, I think, last week on Twitter, um, this this one conversation uh, with, uh, I think it was ChatGPT. And, and I mean, you know, uh, I think 50% of Twitter are, are people with, with, with uh, the, the check mark, right? They say, okay, a new chat tool X came out and here are the 42 things you need to know about. I'm like, okay, good. Uh, but uh, there was this really nice, uh, nice, nice video where someone basically reprogrammed the system so that I think two plus two equals five. So they were trying two plus two equals what? And then, yeah, it's four. No, it's not four. Oh, I apologize. My, my answer was wrong. Yeah, it was wrong. It's five. Okay. So what is two plus two? It's four. No, it's not. And then after a couple of iterations, ChatGPT replied with five. And so then they asked, what is two but TWO plus two TWO answer? four no it's not and then after some more iterations it was five as well Re really really uh, i mean fascinating to watch um it's i mean it's easy to make make fun of the the behavior um but on the other hand uh, we are we are we are just at the beginning right and it can still go both ways uh um, but yeah it, it just shows exactly what what mark was telling that uh, there there are just some some inherent risks and uh, those those risks need to be mitigated yeah, we are, we are still at the beginning. So how, if you have a system that is based on being able to reprogram itself or to change the weights on the, the knowledge it has to still produce 
the desired and or accurate output. And I think that's a hard problem to solve. Another thing that comes to my mind is um, uh, recently I was reading some article by one of uh, Polish pen tester companies. They basically asked ChatGPT, hey, prepare a tool for like pen tester that would do this and that, yada, yada. And ChatGPT produced PHP scripts, oddly enough. And the funny thing was that those scripts had a very big backdoor uh, basically written inside, in, like included in the scripts, right? So now comes another challenge for us. If we can reprogram ChatGPT, how about we reprogram it in a way that we put a backdoor in the code that is proposing to some other people like using ChatGPT inside their IDEs? And I mean, maybe that code that was, that was produced was, uh, I mean, actually some existing code from, from some of the input for the learning. And that code, that original code, had the backdoor. I mean, these are, I, th- I mean, just, just, you know, generally speaking, these are, these are two of the, the, the main challenges, at least uh, uh, in, in my view. Uh, so one, uh, the, the copyright of the results. Is there is there information in there that might have a license that's uh, not compliant with what you want to achieve or how you would like to use the results? And of course, that the results are not deterministic, right? Um, yeah, uh, this this is like much wider as well. Um, the first thing is licensing, as you mentioned. The other thing is like bias included. There are even like open organizations that are trying to fight bias in machine learning, because whenever like if you take input which is let's say, kind of uh, recent or up-to-date, then you have completely different bias included in these materials than like historical texts from 19th centuries or, or whatever, right? So these things change over time and obviously they'll continue changing in the upcoming years, uh, especially that we have already seen, uh, like I think it was Google that really, or Microsoft that released this chatbot like year back or two years back, that uh, that quickly became uh, very racist and was taken down after like 24 hours just because people kind of reprogrammed it. And um, but the other thing apart from uh, from this bias and apart from uh, from this licensing is like same case we see with Twitter or other social media nowadays, like some let's say materials may not be necessarily widely accepted because it's like fake news or whatever else. And still, should we include them when training ChatGPT? Should we not? Who should decide that? And what should be the the, um, the criteria we choose and we pick when, when selecting these materials? So tons of interesting questions ahead of us in the upcoming weeks and months. You know, I, I think that it's it's kind of interesting, and I think this, there's this similar kind of idea of, you know, verifying authenticity with regards to images and, and videos, deep fakes, things like that. And it seems like we kind of got a, an across-the-board authentication or verification of, of, of authenticity or of, or of truth. Uh, and it seems like no matter what, you... you, you or it seems like in all three of these areas, right? We're essentially talking about you know ma- you know popular ways of communicating. In in all three of these areas, it, it seems like a similar solution could be effective. Although I think with text, you you actually it, it's actually easier I think than with anything else because with text you can actually you can you can program into the AI to include. Uh, both a sense of how accurate it thinks the answer is, as well as links to sources. Both of those pieces could go, could be included. Um, uh, you know, right now, I think, you know, we're, it, it is a little bit like a child, a brilliant child is writing the paper a little bit, right? Is creating the text because you can, you can get uh, source links, citation links that are essentially referring to real books, but pages, numbers that don't exist, you know, that sort of thing, for example, right? So, so ChatGP is really good at emulating everything humans are essentially look like we're doing, right? And even if you look at, if you look at the, the citations that are wrong, those are really similar in my mind to the, um, the AI image generators getting fingers wrong, 
right? If you've seen image, you know, examples of that, right? In other words, they kind of look like fingers. They're recognizable as fingers in your peripheral vision. But when you zoom in, when you look at the detail or you look at the citation, you see, okay, it's wrong. And it would be nice to have a reflection from the AI that accompanies the output that says, here's how truthful, here's how accurate I think this answer is. Here are the sources I used, right? Which also gets you to your copyright, you know, questions or your source code questions as well. It feels like it's, it feels like AI is missing this big self-reflective kind of piece that says, here's how accurate I, here's the quality, here's my reflection, here's my rating of the quality of the information I just gave you. The question is, um, assuming that AI learns how to even now use those different types of materials, should then you have like different bots? I mean, chat GPT, GPL enabled, chat GPT with MIT, chat GPT with whatnot, proprietary licensing? Or should you just have one bot and keep asking questions? Hey, how do you this and that? And please include answers based on life material license this way, because I have secret key and I paid for the license and there I go, my serial number. I mean, I haven't tried that, but uh, actually, it, if if you ask a question, please give me a piece of code that does this and that. You, I think, certainly can add. Oh, by the way, it 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 should not have any GPL licensed components or something like that. Of course, still, and uh, I think that that alludes uh, to to what what you've you've already said. Um, we we still then don't know exactly how the system comes to that piece of code, right? Is it one source? Is it by analyzing 20 sources and finding finding patterns that, that are shared uh, between them? We don't know. Maybe system doesn't even know, right? So um, it's tough, but yeah, it, uh, it, would, it would, of course, be, be desirable. But I mean, wasn't there wasn't there this, uh, this leaked uh, Google, I think Google, it was a Google memo where they they famously said um, what was what was the phrasing uh, we have no mode um, and so, so what what they were referring to is uh, basically all all does that discussion about large language models and that they found out that you know nowadays everyone with a more or less decent mobile phone can you know um, uh, run foundation models uh, uh, on that with. Uh, uh, decent performance so the the and i think that applies to 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 open ai as well right it will be hard for them to be protected from from uh, disruption right because everyone can do their own models apply right to their models right so um doing doing models is one thing but running them uh, on a large scale and with proper input is yet another thing. Like um, what I'm going to say now is based on gossips. I don't mm. have any solid sources for that, but I heard uh, that Google experimented with uh, the search engine based on like mm. AI um, a couple years back, and they uh, they didn't roll it out in production just because the like the unit cost of mm. one particular search was many orders of magnitude higher with the AI than it was with the with the regular approach. And similarly, um, I heard, again, gossips, I don't know how much of that is true, but I heard that uh, OpenAI uses like nearly all the GPU instances available in Azure. Uh, so, so okay, you can run the models on your local hardware, but the question is, are you going to get any comparable performance or or accuracy yeah. with your custom-based solution? Right? Yeah. So, so in that uh, in that uh, Google, uh, yeah, I think it was Google. Uh, in in that uh, Google leak, they they also kind of compared the. Uh, the the rating, so to speak, of the outputs from the different models, and um, smaller models, of course, had had le less 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 accurate outputs, right, or less accurate results, but not that much worse at, of course, a fraction of the costs. Right? And I mean, at at the moment, I, I have the impression that uh, most of the the innovation, quote unquote, is done by just throwing more hardware at it, right, and, and more. More, more horsepower, more CPUs, more GPUs, um, larger models, 
but is that really so do you get enough bank for the buck there right and uh, especially the the cost aspects you um you're referring to and that will be interesting to see in the future right because i mean nowadays everyone uh, at the moment everyone can try that out and uh Many of those services are still free and, you know, people are experimenting and uh, everyone tries to be at the forefront of development and throwing, uh, throwing everything at it. But eventually, the costs might be uh, more realistic. And then it's really, really a, a very interesting discussion to have when we see, okay, do we, if you take the, the, the most comprehensive, largest model, the costs involved in the cloud in which that then will run or on the systems which that will run, will they give us good enough results or could we just have for a fraction of the costs still good enough uh, good enough output? And that would be super interesting to see. And uh, I, I, I don't have a prognosis about that, right? But um, yeah, at the moment, I think costs, are, costs uh, seem to be pretty high or at least the effort, the effort is, is pretty high. Yeah, connected to the cost is the CO2 burn, the CO2 emissions from the machines that are running to you know, answer those questions, right? I put a link in the, in the chat here. We can include that in the show, but uh, to an article uh, just came out, I think, today uh, in Wired Magazine, uh, basically claiming that, that uh, large language models combined with search engines can have a significant impact on, uh, on, the, uh, on the burn. On the CO2 burn? Well, that's definitely something that we'll need to, uh, as humanity, um, take into consideration. Um, this is very similar to what we basically have with uh, industrial revolution, right? We had to take some cost, take the toll of the, the, the progress and the advancement in technologies, just so that later we could reduce the cost, reduce the carbon uh, footprint or whatnot. Mm. Um, the same, I guess, will need to happen here, although now we are much more like aware of the issue and, and we may want to decide not to just move forward with, uh, with the solutions that we have at the moment because they are way too expensive. Um, but this is kind of philosophical and moral question, right? Should we let the, for the technical progress, should we allow for it? Or maybe we should just stop it because it's too expensive and leads to like, um, natural consequences and carbon emission or whatnot. I mean, uh, didn't, didn't Microsoft famously say that uh, they, they will be carbon negative by uh, 2030? Yes, and I know part of that is done by buying certificates, right? But, but still, I mean, uh, the... 2050 the, is... No, I think 2050, they will have um, uh, kind of, uh, how do you say, they will have removed all the emissions since the beginning of the company. They they will have kind of equal or or, or, um, or kind of remove that basically. So that that's the 2050 goal, right? So everything since Microsoft was founded um, uh, will will take care till then. But till 2030, the the company itself uh, wants to be carbon uh, negative, right? And that of course also includes uh, everything Azure. Yeah, that's interesting. I read this today, this morning. I read uh, 2030 for Google being carbon neutral and mm -hmm. 2050 for Microsoft being carbon negative. But it could have been the reporter's misinterpretation yeah. of, you know, of, of the same information that you've seen. Okay. So that's, that's super interesting. But, yeah. you know, I, I think there's another piece here, right? Everything is racing. Everybody's racing fast and, and working towards innovation. This problem of the CO2 burn is probably why we haven't seen mass uh, adoption of, of BARD and ChatGPT into the search engines yet. I think that when, when, I, when I read this article in Wired earlier this morning, I was thinking, oh, that's probably why we haven't seen adoption yet, because we've got, they know it's a huge hit. But if they know it's a huge hit, then, then, Two things I think you're working on. You're working on solving that problem. And one of the ways you can solve that problem is with, with more machines, right, to solve the hit problem. More efficient machines can solve the CO2 problem a little bit. And really, I, 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 I really have a sense 
that we're going to see chip innovations that are geared towards, just like we saw chip innovations that, that, that took shortcuts with physics, right? You'd have a physics chip on your game card that could, that could do those calculations. I think you're going to see uh, chips geared towards solving large language model problems, you know, on that server, on that, uh, you know, on that individual machine that's part of the bigger network, right? And, and is able to do it more efficiently. I think you might be finding solutions there too. You know, I'm not an expert, but that's my sense, right? When there's economic pressure, people tend to respond. And when there's a lot of economic pressure, a lot of people tend to, to move. And, and you get this, this thing that happens where instead of just dealing with the problems we know now, something changes fundamentally as we move forward that, that, that repositions the problem, right? Changes that, that pretty significantly. And I, that that's what I think is going to happen. I think we're I think we're at a we're at a pace. Like I want to say, like I remember about like seven to eight years ago, ten years ago, I was we'd have conversations with other developers. You'd be like, it's so hard to stay on top of things now. Information's coming so fast. Well, the, today is like much worse than it was ten years ago in terms of speed of innovation, speed of of information, of new things that's coming out changes, power, things that you can do that you couldn't do before, it's it's accelerating and it's only going to continue. The likelihood, you know, uh, you know, barring some sort of unforeseen force majeure, the likelihood is that we are going to see innovations come so fast, right? This idea of, hey, we can't, you can't have AI bots attending the meeting on your behalf. I think that restriction is likely to change once we have AI bots that are essentially verified or certified, right? That this is my representative, my bot, right? And it's authenticated to be me and I uniquely identified. Well, that one can go attend a meeting for me on my behalf. I think we're going to see that change too. So, I mean, what, what do you see for, for yourselves uh, in the next couple of years? Will, will you still be <laughs> writing or curating code or will, will we now all have a new job? Will you all have a new job as, as the chat prompt operator? I mean, <laughs> those are going to know those are gone too. The, the, the ch <laughs> chat GPT is good enough right now to create its own prompts. <laughs> We, I, I was watching. A, I watched a show on on YouTube where the guy was using ChatGPT to create prompts for an AI art generator. So the AI art generator needed very detailed information about what artists to use, that sort of thing. And so he would say, "Give me three different prompts or four different prompts for this kind of a style," you know. And he would say that style, and then it would go and give very explicit, detailed. GPT, GPT would give explicit instructions for the AI, and he would just copy those and paste those in. So, yeah, I think that I think one of the big risks that we have fundamentally over the next 10 years is uh, unemployment at a scale that's never hit before on this planet. I think that it's not like new jobs. I think I don't think new jobs are going to be coming up faster than existing jobs are going to vaporize. And that transition, I think, is going to hit every country differently, right? The country is going to have to, government's going to have to come in and step up and get basically something called basic income, right? Where people can get the what they need to sustain themselves, right? And we're going to have to make that transition, I think. Or alternatively, the other thing you have, I, I saw this too, the Writers Guild strike in the United States. Right. One of the strike signs says, I don't want AI to get a piece of my pie. Right. This idea that human workers strike against AI or the impending job threat. That's essentially, you know, the proposition from AI coming in. I think humans have a chance to kind of fight back and and with through government, uh, with government assistance, governments passing laws, they can kind of artificially create barriers against what would otherwise normally just just happen. In other words, I say normally, in other words, the best brain gets the job generally, right? The most efficient. Well, if you've got, if, you, if, we, if we breach AGI, if we get to, um, you know, general, artificial general intelligence, we get to that point, 
right? And we we get there. Uh, it's that that machine can think about three thousand times faster than I can, right? And it can work twenty four hours a day, right? That machine costs way less to employ, you know. Once you get to that point, and 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 we're we're in a race for that that I've never seen in terms of numbers of big companies putting huge amounts of money into this space, right? This whole idea when they called for the the slowdown in development, I'm like, yeah, that's that's like you know being on a runaway train falling down, you know, through a paper building and saying, can we slow this thing down or something? That's it's just that's just not going to happen. Not when there's so much money. And so many people, they want to get there, right? The other pieces that you've got is you've got this singularity, this crazy singularity piece, right? Where the minute you get AGI, the first company that gets AGI, well, wouldn't it make a lot of sense to take that AGI that you've just got and build the next generation with it? Because now that I can now have the most brilliant minds on the machine, why not get to the next level immediately without necessarily telling anybody, right? And at this point, you start developing so fast, right? Things go get so intelligent so quickly, right? It's insane, right? In our brains, we have the we are, we have, we have very limited capacities for things like comprehending complexity, but in a in a network of computers, you can take what our limitations are, and you can say, well, let's now that we've got AGI, let's let's now build up the brain. Let's build up our capacity for simultaneous awareness of simultaneous ideas, right? For example, let's, you know, we've already figured out the memory problem, right? We already know, we've already accepted that, that computers could remember things and do tedious things much better than humans could. That's been around for like, you know, you know, almost five decades, I want to say, right? But it's like this idea, our capacity for how much brilliance we can get in our brains is, is limited. And our, our sense of what it is, what it means to be intelligent is also, I'd say, arguably limited, right? We can only imagine what it is that we have our capacity to, you know, reflect upon. Now I'm depressed, I, Mark. <laughs> I'm depressed every moment, Christian. It's over. It's game over. That's my answer to your question. I'm, it's game I'm, over. I'm not totally convinced, but uh, Adam, Adam, you were first. So please, please go ahead. I'm not depressed, to be honest. Um, I heard that in the beginning of 1900s, they were saying similar things, meaning that machines will take all the, um, all the uh, positions and generally people won't need to work anymore and whatnot. And here we are 100 years later and we have tons of let's say it out loud, corporate positions that we could not necessarily um, still keep and the corporate would still do the same way. The other thing is governments, right? So many places are still not computerized, going really slow and things are done manually, even though we know they could be uh, done better. So while I do agree that um, AGIs will change the way we work, especially in like fast moving startups area or like companies that really embrace the progress, but I still think like half of the world at least will not pick it up that easily and will be very against uh, or not necessarily um, embracing the, the change that fast. Um, so people will not necessarily need to be scared. Obviously, we are yet to see how it's going to look like in the upcoming years, but I wouldn't be so depressed. <laughs> no, I was, I, was, I was joking a bit. I mean, it, 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 it's exciting times. Um, but uh, what, what I've been pondering uh, for the last couple of weeks is, uh, so how, how will you know, everything relate to programming uh, look like? Because, I mean, as, as we've seen and with all the advances that have been done uh, and, and, and everything that allow will be included in the IDE and in search and everything, the, the, the copy and paste stack overflow programmer, that is maybe someone who might eventually get replaced uh, by, by an AI. But, I mean, if, if you're on a level where you see someone copy and paste stuff from 
let's just say from Google, uh, but yeah, basically it's Stack Overflow. We all know that. I mean, we, we all do this from time to time, I'm sure, right? But there are people who are exclusively doing that. Um, but at least someone, you know, will have to look at that because even on Stack Overflow, sometimes there's just garbage, right? The accepted answer is garbage or doesn't apply to a certain scenario. And so this, this higher, higher instance, so to speak, that still will need to be there. And of course, in, in some future, maybe maybe that can also be done by, by an AI. But, but I think um, that, that, that is still something where you need some, 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 some oversight uh, in a way. But yeah, indeed. So um, uh, for, for certain, certain types of uh, programming tasks, um, maybe it is really feasible to get, uh, get support in the code generation by, by the AI. And so if everything you do all day uh, is creating that kind of code, then this might, this might be really challenging indeed. Christian, I think that, that before, before it gets really bad, it's going to get really good is what I think. And so I, what I think is going to happen, like imagine a world where, uh, where you have like a team of 10 developers that take care of things and you guide them, Right. So you basically say, hey, I need test cases for this, right? You know, uh, I need a, a sense of code coverage here. What, uh, you know, where, how, how are we doing? I need, uh, I've got a problem here. We've got a problem with the architecture. And, uh, and, and I want a couple ideas on how I can fix it, right? Um, or I've, I've got this new code base that we just, you know, we just inherited. I want to tell me what's good about it and tell me what's bad, right? I, I think in the future, instead of having 10 real people that are working for you uh, as developers, I think you'll be able to have a machine and, and maybe one other person working for you. And I think that that transition from a, a team of 10 down to a team of two um, is, is kind of what AI allows you to do. And so it allows you to create with the, the uh, effectiveness of a, of a larger team, yeah. right? So like I've already seen examples where, you know, hey, write me, write me 10, 10 test cases for this. Boom. And it's done. And the test cases are decent. Right. I've, I, and it's effortless and instant. Right. I, I've seen that already. And so we're, we're you know, we're we're really the, the piece that's missing is. And, and I and I don't think we're far off. I think we're maybe two to five years away. But the piece that's missing is a fundamental understanding of the code at hand, whatever it is, right? That's missing. But once we get there, right, then we're able to now reflect in a way that a human cannot, right? Because if you have a full understanding of the whole big code base, and we're talking now about uh, ideas like we want to extend this or we want to make something more flexible, we've had a feature request or something along those lines. Um, an AI assistant could alert you to problems that otherwise might be found by customers or found after you've started making changes, that sort of thing. Also, you know, geez, we haven't even talked about this, but we've got generative AI for images, but why, why haven't we been seeing, or at least I haven't seen, why hasn't anybody been talking about generative AI for form design, for website design, for layout, at least, for layout and design, that sort of thing. I've seen some, I have seen some with, with regards to website, AI, and websites. Yeah, websites I've seen But too, I yeah. haven't seen, but I haven't seen stuff that is like, here, let's create some good UI for you based on good principles of design. And I haven't seen that yet. And I think that's coming too, right? Where I can say, here, I need this kind of interaction. I need these, these are, this is the path I want customers to go on. And this is the path I need to illegally allow for as well you know, that sort of thing. And I want you to create something that feels good, that's that's good, you know, that's all of that. And not only that, AI, but I want you to now put in your own AP testing on that. And I want you to check and monitor on that as after it's been, you know, uh, published. You just right? described Let's, that template library, right? But a smart one. Yeah, yeah. something that's, but it's an assistant, right? That gives yeah. that to you, right? I think yeah, that the phrasing, the phrasing is super, super, super important, right? It, and I think uh, all, all of all of those companies that are currently uh, working on something like that, they try to be very careful with the wording as well. So they call it assistant or co-pilot, right? So you are right. still in the driver's seat, right? And of course, yeah, reduce and your, say, your team of 10 
to two is great unless you are one of the eight, right? Um, but yeah, so that 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 will be interesting to see. But yeah, indeed, uh, you you have to be you have to be in the driver's seat, and uh, I think we'll all yeah. Well, I, I think Copilot Copilot had some great wording on theirs. They basically were saying, hey, you know, you know, they were talking about the safety of using the code yeah, generated yeah. by it, and they say, hey, just like any code that you would take from another source, it's you, you're going to want to vet this code. You're going to want to create test cases for this, just like you would create test cases for code that you write, yeah. right? And and I think that that is a, a realistic, you know, good approach uh, for right now. And I think it's you know it's it's great. You know, I'm I'm actually stepping in this space. I'm working to create uh, an AI assistant for coding. That's what I'm. That's one of the things that I'm working on. And, uh, and, and it's right now in a spike stage, right? Where I'm like, I, the question is, can I get fundamentally better results than Copilot is the question, right? And, 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 you know, based on, you know, whatever secret kind of ideas or tricks I'm going to do to get, get in that space. And, but I, you know, from my perspective, if I'm going to be doing that, you've got the, these kind of ideas of legal exposure, to some degree, right? And so I think that it's interesting to me how they're they appear to be protecting themselves against that by saying, just like any code that you would write yourself or get from another source, check it, right? You want to check it just like you do anything else. It's I think what I getting you closer. What 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 uh, the part I I like the most about that space is really the the generation of of test cases. Because I think and I think you all agree, right? Many code bases we see they just lack a sizable number of tests. And I mean, back back in the days, you know, when, when TDD was was hotter even than now, um, the, the, cho the choice was always, okay, if we do TDD, then most of the time, for a fact, it takes us longer until we get great results or until the software does what we want the software to do. But on the long run, of course, we have much less regressions, right? So that's basically always the trade-off, right? So if you want to move fast, then you kind of skip the tests. And then eventually when you found out, okay, that software we just wrote, uh, we would like to keep it and maintain it, then uh, you you hit yourself in the head and say, oh, I had I had every test uh, in the first place, right? And, uh, you know, as you know, I, I do a lot of uh, a lot of web security and, and one of the, the guidelines um, I'm, I'm always using, uh, always telling people and, and customers is... Uh, you 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 have to keep all of your dependencies up to date and and more often than not i just hear yeah but ugh, just applying a new version of one dependency i have i mean how how can i know that everything is still working as as it as it was before right can i be certain can i have the confidence that the application will still be functional if i update the dependency well if you have a high test coverage you can so that's what i am all, all for making writing useful tests as accessible, as approachable, as easy as possible. And so if I get support there uh, directly in the ID, uh, perfect, right? So I'm, that, that's one thing, I mean, I've been experimenting with that for, for quite a while now, and that's something I'm really, really looking forward to, and I really hope to see higher, higher test coverage. Um, even if a project is, is already a brownfield project, or even if a project doesn't doesn't use TDD, but still having having tests in place, and you know, easy setup. No, oh, I have to look that up. Oh, I need to install the test runner. Which package am I using? No, it's just generated for me, and it just works out of the box. This, I mean, I always laugh at that when when people tell me this as as a great feature, and I've always been laughing, right? I mean, now I get it, right? This this F5 experience from 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 Visual Studio or other IDEs, right? This you have something, you load it, you press a key, and it just runs. And not every system has that, right? But if we have that in place, also for the testing infrastructure, I'm all for it. I agree here. Um, the other thing um, I would really love to say is we know ChatGPT can control browser. At least we have seen proof of concepts for that. I would love to finally get rid of Selenium, Puppeteer, Cypress, whatever you have. Just do kind of like BDD description for ChatGPT. Hey, what do you need to test? And then you do all the clicking for me. Yeah. That would be 
bright new day for testing web applications. Fantastic. So that's the future I'm, I'm actually looking forward to. All right, gentlemen. Thanks. I, I think that was really insightful, and uh, I think there's a there, there are a lot of lot of developments, and I think this is a topic that we will see again and again uh, also in our show here. I would say it's uh, it's time for picks. Um, so uh, actually, I, I have a very simple pick. So if I may, I, I'll start today, and that's just something you know you see it so often, and then you wonder, okay, what what is that? And now I just found out and. So uh, if uh, if you do uh, technical presentations at a conference or in a company, sometimes you'd like to present code, right? And uh, if, as you know, if you just copy paste code from your IDE into into PowerPoint or Keynote or whatever, it just looks like it looks like crap. Um, but sometimes it's, uh, people have this really beautiful looking code uh, in a graphic, nice to read, nice coloring scheme. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I've always seen this and thought, okay, wow, they, they have a graphics design team or they're just great graphics designers or not as lazy as me. I uh, know um, most of them are using something called Carbon. And so what Carbon basically does is it takes code and converts it into images. So it supports a variety of languages. Um, and it's not doing a syntax check, but it's using the languages for the, the color highlighting has a couple of settings. Uh, and uh, so it's really, uh, really a nice, uh, convenient tool for that uh, special application that you would like to have an image with your source code to show in your presentations. Code is on GitHub. Um, so we'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, so, so do check that out. Mark, would you like to I'm go next? I'm always using Visual Studio Code for that and just making screenshots. Yeah, <laughs> same, same here, same here. So that's that's why I look for the for the alternative. And of course, since you get an image from Carbon, it's an image. So editing later uh, is uh, requires you to redo the image, right? or you have some AI do that, but not yet. Yes. My my pick is uh, Ted Lasso. This is a show on uh, on Apple TV, um, and this show is it snuck up on me. I thought it was about one thing, and it wasn't until like midway through season one I realized, oh, this show is really about something else. Um, and I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler on that, and that what it's about. It's about taking care of each other. It's about they 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 go into mental health and issues, but it's about everybody kind of taking care of each other. And uh, I think it's really, really well done. Um, uh, it's in season two now. And uh, as a family, we're watching it and every we're looking forward to every episode as they go out. So I strongly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Actually, I, uh, I renewed um, I renewed Apple TV uh, because uh, season three is now out there uh, on, on Apple TV. So uh, you can you can continue watching actually right after we are done with the recording. <laughs> and no, I, I I like the show as well. Uh, so it's it's about soccer, right? Um, or as as in Europe, it's it's called football. Football. Um, and I I do like especially like the so so there's a coach uh, and he's he's a foot, he's a soccer coach. I don't want to spoil too much, but just the the chemistry alone between the coach and his assistant coach that's just. It's so nicely done. So I really like watching it. So it's not a fast-paced show, right? And as you mentioned, it, it, it starts kind of slowly. But still, you, you start loving those characters. And just it's, it's nice to watch. And yeah, season three just started, I think, in mid-March. Uh, so not that much of an investment to catch up with the first two seasons. So yeah, uh, I also recommend that. Great, great pick. Yeah, I... I... I may have said two seasons. I should, I, if I did, totally correction on there. Yeah, I guess I did. There are three. We're in the. We're watching them all, and you're right. I, I missed out. Yeah, uh, but so um, I think they they had they they release one episode a week, right? So they started yeah mid March, so they should be done by end of May, and uh, we are recording this early May. So you're almost through, but still something to look forward I know. to. Great. No, it's great. It's a great show. Fantastic. All right, Adam. My pick for this week is called SSLH, uh, which advertises itself as an SSL SSH multiplexer. 
this is actually a, a very fancy software that um, allows you to host multiple services on one single port, typically for, for free, which is very wide open on the internet. However, the way I kind of use it was a, a little bit different. If you have a VPN that is configured in the full tunnel mode, and most companies do it this way, uh, that you cannot basically connect uh, to the outside world um, without going through the corporate network, something which we sometimes uh, miss. So the way you can do it is if you just put an SSL H on your way to the VPN server, and so like on first hop um, after your uh, workstation, could be router, could be whatever, and you can effectively just escape the VPN full tunnel using this multiplexer, which means that you can also obviously breach network security policies and do it on your own um, judgment. Your mileage may vary, and I'm not recommending doing anything like this. But if you are just playing with it, trying to figure out how to do it, well, SSL H is really the way to go to do this magic. So obviously the link will be included in the notes for this episode. That, that, that sounds like a great idea, actually. So, so it runs under Linux, I guess. Does it also run on macOS? Or I think you can put it in Docker, right? So that's... It's, yeah, it's, it's in Docker, so it okay. should work anywhere. Um, obviously, I imagine you would be able to put it on some router as mm-hmm. well if okay. you wanted to. Um, but the, the trick I heard some people do is you just configure the VPN like your, your virtual machine or you connect to the internet through some other virtual machine or other physical box that works as a router for you and you put a SSLH over the um, so it's effectively the very first hop after your workstation on your traceroute to the to the internet. Excellent, great. So thanks everyone for listening in. Um, see you around next time here at AdventuresIn.net. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Take care, kids. Bye bye.